Well, it's important to understand context, and as we think about this Thanksgiving Sunday, happy Thanksgiving, I've thought about Thanksgiving exhortation, and I've thought about Philippians 2 that says don't grumble or complain or question. And then you've got to understand the build-up to that. You've got to understand the passage in context, the, the message in context. Uh, Downton Abbey uh, is a show that we were introduced to by our community group. They said, it's a great show. We watched it. We love it. It's a wonderful show. It's the best thing to come out of England since Winston Churchill, uh, Downton Abbey. But if you've never seen it, it's well worth watching. But it's like you're watching season one, and you're in the fifth segment. And in the fifth segment, you're thinking about Mary, who's wonderful, whose reputation is being sullied by a Turkish diplomat experience. And then you're introducing to Mr. Bates, who is a man who's gracious and caring, and Thomas, who is a despicable human being. And you're, you're engrossed in it. You're watching it. And a friend comes in and starts asking you questions. Explain this, explain that, and you say, just be quiet. You know, you've got to see it in content. You can't jump in the middle and understand the show that's built on previous episodes. That's really a good statement about biblical study or hermeneutics. You've got to understand the Bible in context. You've got to understand it in historical context. This church at Philippi, we're going to be flipping today. The church at Philippi, they were doctrinally sound. They were financially secure. They were somewhat problem-free, had some relational issues, but, but it wasn't filled with the, the horrific problems like the church of Galatia or the church of Corinth. No doctrinal issues, but Paul is encouraging them, don't give up, keep pressing into the kingdom. And, and the historical context for Philippi was they're part of the Greco-Roman world, and the Greco-Roman Roman world is filled with philosophical issues, and the question is, what's in it for me? If you're a hedonist or a Stoic or a Epicurean or, or, or Aristotle, died about 320 B.C., and Aristotle said that the chief end of man is happiness, and happiness is an individual who lives his life in concert with virtue. So if you want to live a, a life that's blessed or fulfilling or has welfare, you're virtuous. And so they were raised as mindset saying, you know, really, what's the welfare here? And see, I, I think the Bible answers that. The Bible has a great argument from desire. For example, in, in, in 1 Timothy Paul is writing a letter shortly after this book written through Philippians, and he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says that I write the law, the law was given to combat whatever is contrary to sound doctrine, sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted. Sound doctrine means life-giving, sustaining teaching. See, this is life-giving, sustaining teaching. It gives you a place to stand. Soundness. We get our word hygiene from this Greek word, which means sound. Hygienic. Life-giving. In Deuteronomy, Moses is giving his farewell address to the children of Israel. And he says this, chapter 30, verse 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, Blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. 
that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice, holding fast Him, for He is your life and length of days. He's your life. He's your length of days. Joshua chapter 1. Joshua is going into the promised land, leading the children of Israel. And the Lord says in Joshua 1, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. But on you shall meditate day and night that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will have good success. You will have hygienic, sound, living. You have a place to stand. The Psalms, again, argument from desire. Psalm 16, verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole body rejoices, for you will not abandon me to the grave nor let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Wow. Your presence, fullness of joy. Your right hand, pleasures forevermore. You've made known to me the path of life. You give me a place to stand, Lord. Hygienic, sound, glorious, living. Or the Proverbs, the promise from Proverbs 8 or 4, verse 18. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. The path of the righteous is like a path that just gets brighter and brighter. It gives you a place to walk. It gives you a place to stand. The, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They stumble. They go into a room. It's pitch black. And they stumble. We have light. And so this argument for desire, but before Paul jumps in and says, don't grumble and don't question and shine like the light, he, he asks them some rhetorical questions. This is, to me, the argument from desire. Therefore, he says to this church, this in a major cosmopolitan city, wealthy, no major issues. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and there certainly are. If you have any comfort from His love, there certainly is. If you have any sharing of the Holy Spirit, which you do, if there's any tenderness and compassion, which you have, see all the rhetorical issues, then make my joy complete, he says, by being like-minded, having the same spirit, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count other people more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Because as you do that, you're blessed. And then he says, and the example is the reality of Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the very form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped at, but he emptied himself. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's just a church, as you see the hygienic glory of the gospel, 
And, and as you, you see the wonder of Christ and the example of Christ, therefore, so he's, building, he's building up to this pitch, therefore, verse 12, my beloved, as you have always believed, not only in my presence, but also in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Work out your salvation with, with fear and with trembling. He said, now, now wait. Stop. What do you mean? Work out my salvation with fear and trembling. I, I thought that if you're in Christ, you're secure. You are. I thought he said in chapter 1, verse 6, listen. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He says, what do you mean? Fear and trembling. Let me explain something. Salvation is an ongoing, continuous process in this life. Justification, when you are declared righteous in God's sight by faith in the finished work of Christ, is complete the moment it happens in your life. But salvation is ongoing. Let me just read Romans chapter 5, where Paul explains this. Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. Listen. Therefore, since we have been justified, past tense, by faith, we do now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's complete. It's finished. Verse 8. But God shows His love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us us. Since therefore we have now been justified, past tense, by His blood. Complete. Finished. Much more shall we be saved, present tense, by Him from the wrath of God. So you see, the present tense reality is I am continuously being saved by the work of Christ. I think what Paul is saying here is Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and tremble, lest you misrepresent Christ. Fear and tremble that you, you float instead of pushing hard. Fear and tremble that you don't hit the tape hard. Like a runner in the, a 100-meter race. He says, don't be phlegmatic and casual and, and, and uncaring. He says, press. Church of Philippi, wealthy church, good doctrine, no major issues. You're not like Corinth and Galatia. You're, 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 you're pretty, it's just there. It says, press hard. That's why Paul says in Philippians 3, he's writing from a Roman prison. He's going to be dead in two years, a year and a half. He says, verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider myself to have laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. One thing I do, pressing forward to the call that is mine in Jesus Christ. Paul says, I don't sit back and think about the thrilling days of yesteryear. I, don't, I, I am pressing on. I'm in prison, but I'm still pressing. I'm in prison, but I'm still pressing on. He says, I, I, I'm not shrinking back. I'm, I'm going forward. And I read this and I go, fear and trembling. Fear and trembling, not that I'll lose my salvation. But fear and trembling that I will not be used of God. Fear and trembling that I'll miss out on God's best for my life. Fear and trembling that I'll misrepresent the glorious gospel of Jesus. Fear and trembling because I am his ambassador. If you're a Christ follower, you're his ambassador to a watching world. And we're at war. I was talking to a World War II vet years ago. 
And he said that they were being trained, I think it was out west. They were going to be shipped to Europe to fight the Germans and the Italians. And he said the first few weeks they would teach us how to crawl and how to do this and how to hold our, our rifle. And, and the drill sergeant said, now, now be careful as you do this, men. He said, now the, 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 the shots above your head are just blanks. We want you to get used to the noise. And so the last week, they said, now listen, today the shots above you are real bullets because we want to hear you, we want you to hear the ping of the bullets and we want, to, we want you to sense the gravity of what you're about to do because in a few weeks, the Nazis are going to be firing real bullets at you. And he said up above, one of his buddies, they were crawling through some mud and a stream and a snake went in front of him and his buddy, just in response, he sat up, he took a bullet and he died. It's war. It's not fake bullets. They're real bullets. That we we are people. See, to me, this gives me gravity. This gives me perspective. This this tells me that this stuff is really important. Really, really, really important. I work out my salvation, Paul says, with fear and trembling. Peter says the same thing somewhat in 2 Peter 1. Make your calling and your election sure. So how do you make your calling and your election sure? You do the things I've told you to do. You let your life speak of Christ. I read about this recently. True story. There's a man, his wife. The man was a big Chicago Bears fan. Wife was a Green Bay Packers fan, a cheesehead. The Bears and the Packers are historic, bitter enemies. And so they were playing, and the husband came up with a wonderful little situation. He said, tell you what, whoever wins, team wins, gets to taser the other person. Now, what do you do in Chicago in the winter? You know, you, you run along. So the Bears won. He tasered his wife. Three times. <laughs> when she got her strength back, she called the police. The police came and arrested him. And she said, I didn't think he was serious. And the arresting officer told the newspaper, you know, you can't make up the things we deal with every day. It's just a game. I mean, some of us are sitting here, we're, we're kind of down. This is rival weekend. I mean, if you're a Southern Cal fan or if you're a... Alabama fan, or if you're a Clemson fan, if you're a Florida fan, it's bad. 109 yards. You believe that, Mark? 109 yards. Anyway, maybe God is a war eagle. I don't know, but anyway. But you, you think, you think of, listen, let me tell you something. It's just a game. It's just a game. This is real. This is eternal. I just, so this gives me a surprise. It's like Hebrew, I love the book of Hebrews. But there's times I go, I, I come to passages in Hebrews and I say, I don't get this. I love this book. But Hebrews 10, for example. He says, the writer says this is uh, verse 34. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one, heaven. 
Next verse. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Verse 39. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And I'm going, what are you saying here? The writer's saying, you know, there was a time in your experience where you joyfully let your possessions be plundered because of your faith, because you realized you had a home in heaven. But he says, but, but, but now, church, you're in danger of, of, of shrinking back and, and not going forward, and, and you're in danger of not seeing the beauty of Christ. He says, so I plead with you, endure, go forward. And he says, I'm convinced that you're not the, the crowd that shrinks back, but the crowd that goes forward. But he says, I, I plead with you to endure. And so I, I read it, I say, let us endure. Let, let us go forward. Let, let us be people who aren't phlegmatic, insouciant, drifters, But let us say with the Apostle Paul, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I thank God for the past. One thing I do, I go for it. Show us the glorious joy of the gospel. And then he says that as you understand, as you understand the promises, as you understand the reality of Christ, as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling and understand that you will leave a legacy that you have a a witness. He says this, do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. The word is there is scoliosis, a twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. It says, don't grumble. Don't complain. Don't bellyache. Instead, show yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God in the midst of a crooked generation, among whom you shine like stars. You just, you shine as lights. So I was talking to somebody this week about, about living for Christ in the marketplace. I, you know, and I said, you know, what, what, what do you do to represent Christ. And he kind of laughed. He said, well, just two, two things. I thought this was very interesting. He said, I don't curse and I'm nice. I said, we learned that in kindergarten. What do you mean? He said, you know, if you go in the marketplace and you don't curse, he said, my have contemporaries come to me and say, what's different about you? You're just nice. You're just kind to people. You just, you just let your light shine. Pretty simple. In Matthew chapter 5, Christ gives this incredible statement. He says, verse 13, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness ever be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put a light on a candelabra and then put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let your saltiness be observed. You're preserving your saving influence in your workplace, in your community, in your family. It's just 
It's amazing. Salt and light. He says, you, he says, you, don't, you don't take a, a light and put it under a bushel basket. You put it on a stand so they can illuminate the whole house. And, you know, we, we, don't, we don't get this very well. But in the Lord's days, you're in the countryside. It is dark, and you go around the corner, and there's a hill, and there's a city on a hill, and there's light. Let, let your light shine. Be salty. And the question is, you know, how, how are we salty? In the previous paragraph, the word answers that, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart. The peacemakers, those who are persecuted. That's how you retain your saltiness and your light. In this passage, how you retain your salt and your light? As you hold fast, strong word, hold fast to the word of life. You hold it. You live it. You say, God, I need your grace every hour of every day and every minute of every hour. I need you. I, I don't want to shrink and go back. I want to go forward. Hey, let, let your light shine. Let it shine. I was reading through Psalm 119 the last few days, and this is very interesting. Just short passage with listen to some of these hold fast words or phrases with my whole heart I cry answer me O Lord I will keep your statutes I call to you save me that I may observe your testimonies I rise before dawn and cry for help I hope in your words, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. See, so these are strong words. Listen, listen. Cry. Whole heart. I rise before dawn. Cry. I hope in your words, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night. I, I meditate on your promise. See, one thing that's incredibly humbling about life is that the older I get, the more I realize I don't even, I'm not even close to having it together. Really, I'm sorry. Those of you that are younger, I'm sorry. Nobody's omnicompetent. All of us are broken. And I just I say, God. I cry to you, have mercy on me. So I look at Philippians and say, Lord, don't let me coast. Don't let me be indifferent. Let me go forward. Let me say to the Apostle Paul, one thing I do. Let, let, let me just understand that I have a charge to keep. I'm called of you to represent you in my family, in my neighborhood, in my workplace, among my contemporaries. I'm called. I'm, I'm called. I'm called to impact the next generation. Every time we get together, we should talk about the 521 window. 5 slash 21. Most kid, people come to faith in Christ between the age of 5 and the age of 21. God, give us grace to speak Jesus to this generation. Please. So this story, it's a really cool story that underscores this point. The year is 19, 
1866, the war between the states has been over, over a year. There's a highly decorated army officer named Fetterman who goes out west to fight the Indians. And as he goes out west, he says, I'm, if you give me 80 men, I will take care of all the Shawnees, all the Comanches, and I'll, I'll be done with them. I can do it. Just give me 80 men. He goes to this fort called Fort Kearney on the Bozeman Trail in Montana. Middle of nowhere, literally. And the commanding officer says, now this is, we have a lot of Indians in the area on the warpath, literally. Don't go far from the fort. And he called him a pencil pusher in his diary, and he left the fort. And he was over four miles from the port, fort with his 81 men. They were attacked by a vast army of Indians led by a great Indian warrior named Red Cloud. All 80 men, 81 men were, were killed. In fact, historians said that, that up to 40,000 arrows may have been shot at these 81 men. Now, I, 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 I got out my calculator. That's 493 point arrows per man shot at you. Now, I'm not a very good bow and arrow guy, but if I get to shoot you 493 times, I'm going to inflict some damage. They all died. It's four days before Christmas. A huge storm had set in. The war was so horrible that the commander of the post, every day they would get up and put the women and the children inside the powder magazine, inside their, their small fort. And the, his instructions were, if the Indians breached the walls, Light that on fire because we want our children and women to be killed rather than face the horror of what's coming. It's horrible. The snow was so bad there'd be a, a bank leading up to the fort and they would have to dig around the fort every day so that literally the Indians wouldn't walk up and just walk over the walls. It was a terrible blizzard. And, and so the Indians were in their teepees. They said, we can't fight in this. And the commander steps forward in front of some trappers and some hardened veterans and he says, we're, we're, we're 200 and 60, 35 miles, 35, yeah, 235 miles from the nearest fort, Fort Laramie. There's no telegraph. We need a man to do the impossible, to ride through hostile Indians in a snowstorm that you can't even see in. It's three days before Christmas, and one guy stepped forward named John Phillips. He's from the Azores. He spoke Portuguese. They called him Portuguese. They gave him his best horse, and he started out. The first few hours, he had to walk through the snow so the Indians wouldn't see him or hear him. And he kept on going. And this is that's incredible to me. This is in the Wall Street Journal. So if you think it's not true, just check out the Wall Street Journal. So he, he keeps on going. He goes over frozen lakes and rivers, snowstorm, on a horse with some basics and dried beef. And he gets to uh, the, the, the nearest telegraph station of Fort Laramie that's at the 190-mile mark. <laughs> and he says, he stumbles in and says, we're surrounded by Indians. Please send a dispatch over the telegraph. Tell them that we've got to have aid or we're going to perish. And the guy sends out the telegraph and says, it is done. Please sit down. You're about to die. And the guy says, now, this, John Phillips says, this bad weather. Are you sure the telegraph got to Fort Laramie? He said, no, I'm not. Uh, the telegraph wires may be down, but we don't know that. He says, but you're about to die. He said, I can't do it. He goes back on his horse. And he goes, 45 more miles. And on Christmas night, they're having a big gala party inside Fort Laramie. And there's a lone sentryman on the wall. And he looks through the night, and he sees a horse stumbling to the gate. And they say the horse collapses within eyesight. 
And John Philip stumbles off the horse and goes in, and Barry's able to say, Fort Kearney is surrounded by hostile forces. We're going to all perish. The next morning, they send troops out, and they save the day. Incredible. 235 miles. Blinding snowstorm. Hostiles. Unbelievable. And I thought, you know, give me that type of passion about representing Christ to my culture and my family and the generation to come. Let me be that kind of guy that just goes for it. I mean, just I, I charge to keep I have just to do it. John Phillips. Go for it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the day that you have uh, given us. Thank you that we can just open the Bible and read it and understand it by the Spirit. Thank you that we can understand that the Apostle Paul here says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, not thinking that you're going to lose your salvation, but, but fear and trembling, saying don't, don't misrepresent Christ. Don't, don't be half-hearted. Go forward. And, and thank you that because of the promises of the glory of the gospel and the example of Christ, we can turn to one another and say, don't, don't grumble. Don't question. Don't, don't, but, but, but be men and women who live with passion as, uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a twisted generation among whom you shine like lights in the night as you hold to the word of truth. God, let us hold. Let us hold. We praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen.